Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got ground. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry County Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hey, how goes it? Welcome into the Black and Blue Report. The podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans is uh, set to go for this Thursday. And hello from Los Angeles, where the Pelicans will begin their day, but finish in Sacramento. I'm Sean Kelly. It's been an exciting start to the road trip. The Pelicans were winners last night, late last night at the Staples Center, knocking out the Lakers 113-92, to and it really wasn't even that close. As a matter of fact, the Pelicans led by as many as 25 and sustained that for some time. And so now with 40 wins on the season and a loss for Oklahoma City last night, a home against the Dallas Mavericks, just a game-and-a-half separation now between the Thunder and the Pelicans here for the eighth and final playoff spot in the Western Conference on this Thursday. It is, uh, it's getting down to it now. Eight games left for the Pelicans. As we mentioned, they begin the day here in Los Angeles. And then after practice over at USC this morning, the Pelicans will get on the team charter and fly up the coast to Sacramento and get set for the Kings tomorrow night. Two more left on this road trip. Big night last night uh, for Ryan Anderson. Boy, it sure was nice to see Rhino come back uh, from injury. He had missed 18 games. We had not seen him play since uh, February the 21st when he uh, was injured in the game at Miami. Uh, but he atoned, uh, or he accounted very well for himself last night, having uh, scored 17 points in 21 and a half minutes and uh, was a part of a big-time bench attack that easily outscored the Lakers in that department. We're going to hear from Ryan Anderson, get his thoughts on his uh, first game back uh, coming up here during the Black and Blue Report. We'll also hear from head coach Monty Williams, uh, his thoughts, uh, very candid from last night's game and what lies ahead now and where things stand with the playoffs and whatnot. And uh, a little bit later, we'll talk some more basketball, but at the college level uh, with Dave Hanners. Dave Hanners uh, is one of Monty Williams' uh, chief assistants here on the Pelican staff. And uh, certainly he has a ton of Final Four experience during his days uh, with Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina. So we'll, uh, we'll start to look toward the Final Four this weekend and get some of the uh, memories out of Dave Hanners today, one of the most interesting people uh, that we have on Airline Drive, no doubt about that. As far as the Thunder go, uh, they have Memphis tomorrow night. So their, uh, their situation doesn't get any easier and uh, we've been doing all this talk about the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and uh, what they're doing, what they're not doing, how it relates to the Pelicans. 
I thought it was a time to get some perspective from someone spending each and every day with them during their final days of this regular season. Royce Young from ESPN.com will do just that for us. He's on the beat there with the Thunder, and uh, it's a good one. He'll share some good insight that I think that um, you'll uh, find it, um, entertaining and informative uh, as we get set for these uh, final crucial eight to seven to eight games for both of these teams. So pretty good show uh, lined up for you today. Uh, it's a travel day, a very busy one for the Pelicans out west here, but uh, we wanted to take a few minutes and share some time with you, and uh, and I certainly hope that you'll uh, enjoy our guests today. So we'll take our first break here this morning from the City of Angels, and when we come back, we'll uh, look back in depth at the win over Los Angeles. The playoff push is on as your New Orleans Pelicans fight for the postseason. Join us this Tuesday at 7 p.m. at the Smoothie King Center for another guys' night out against the Golden State Warriors. This ticket package includes two tickets, four beers, plus we'll throw in two free T-shirts, all for as low as $46. Grab your pals to get on board for Guys' Night Out. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your tickets today. Can't pay your bills because of gambling? Missed car payments? Credit card bills mounting? Do you have multiple payday loans because of your gambling? If you or your family is suffering from gambling problems, treatment services are available for Louisiana residents at no cost. Call now. It's free and confidential. 877-770-STOP or online at helpforgambling.org. A message from the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals Office of Behavioral Health. This is Pelicans forward Ryan Anderson, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. The Pelicans last night trailed at the end of the first quarter 31-29, to but boy, did they hit the gas after that. They outscored the Lakers 31-18 to in the second quarter, 30-21 to in the third, and then uh, did just enough kind of uh, – the fourth quarter was really almost all garbage time last night. Pelicans won the fourth as well, 23-22. to But uh, 50 points in the paint again for the Pelicans. That's the 22nd time this season – They've scored 50 or more in the paint. They got great bench production from Norris Cole, 17 points. Defensive efforts from Dante Cunningham, Alexia Jinsa, and Tony Douglas. And then the return of Ryan Anderson. Anderson went, went 5 of 11 from the field, 2 of 4 from beyond the arc. He even dunked it on a dribble drive down the lane last night and had 7 rebounds to go along with his 17 points. First game back late February for Ryan Anderson. Like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm just really happy with this group, uh, with that second group I'm playing with, and obviously they did a great job defensively, and um, we just wanted to keep that lead and extend that lead, as we were talking about um, doing today. That's what I was talking about uh, wanting to do. You know, I didn't don't want to be a hindrance. I, obviously, I was questioning my shape and where I was at, but I felt great tonight, and, uh, you know, that was definitely my prayer before the game, just give me some lungs, God, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> Oh, pretty good. And how do you feel now? How does the knee feel after after that test? I'm fine. Just icing it up. Uh, feels good. Feels good. Um, you know, we have I've had a lot of preparation with, with treatment and um, you know after practices and stuff, it doesn't swell up or it, the pain isn't doesn't continue or anything. So um, there's a few moments tonight where I kind of second-guessed it a little bit, but overall felt great. You were worried a little bit about the rhythm, and so it can be difficult mm. when someone comes back from a long absence, but it didn't seem like there were any growing pains, so to yeah. speak. 
Um, that's my home, you know, <laughs> out on the court. And I, uh, you know, I, it just felt really good to be back out there. So, um, you know, I think that comfort level just happens after a few plays and uh, had that dunk to just sort of, <laughs> I, that was sort of my test to see how the, the leg was. And um, after that, I felt pretty confident about it. Now, that Dallas OKC game ended just before this one tipped. Were you aware of the score? The players no about idea. It no, no one, no one talked about it. What is the score? Uh, Dallas won. OKC lost. Wow, OK. Well, that's good news. It's great news. <laughs> Ryan Anderson, thanks so much. All right. What was the level of frustration while you're out those 18 games? How about the way the team held the fort while you were gone? Uh, the team did a tremendous job, uh, you know, holding down the fort. I mean, this. Group is they have resiliency. They fight. Uh, they, they work. I mean, in practice, off days, nobody's sitting at home. You know, everybody's working. So, um, you know, they've just done a great job. So, um, you know, I think sitting out is tough for anybody. It's uh, tough to be in the training room as much as I was. You know, the past uh, however many weeks it was. Um, I'm just glad to be back. So, uh, but the, uh, you know, that is tough for any player, and um, it just feels really, really nice and refreshing to be back. Anderson ended up being one of six double-figure scorers last night for the Pelicans. Anthony Davis uh, just needed 34 and a half minutes to get 20 points, six assists, seven rebounds, and four block shots. And then Tyreek Evans had 16 points and eight assists. Eric Gordon was efficient in his time with double figures of 10. And the same goes for Quincy Pondexter, who continues his assault from the three-point line. He's shooting well over 50% here of late from three. He had two more of those last night. Look, 31 assists on 44 field goals is something to say. 56.4% from the field and 9 of 16 from three are also nice numbers to have. And the fact that the Pelicans out-rebounded the Lakers 40-35 to go into what may be one of their most efficient offensive performances in some time. Here's head coach Monty Williams following the Pelicans' third straight win. Congratulations. Nice start to your road trip, coach. Yeah, we, we talked about this being a, uh, a huge game for us. Uh, we weren't going to overlook this team because they played so well on the road and um, we wanted to take care of our business but we had to you know do it in the game and I, I thought the way we started we were a bit lax and um, after that our guys to a man got it together and we started playing better defense um, the 31 assists tonight and only seven turnovers that that's a big uh, deal for us but I, I thought our effort out of the uh, Second quarter was great. We defended better. We shared the ball. We got a big win. Yeah, what magic words did you say at the end of the first? Because it turned around in a hurry. Well, I just told them, you know, we're, we're messing around right now. You know, we can get it together and get rid of this feeling uh, that we have by playing hard, talking on defense. It'll be easier on offense if we do that. But all of our guys understood at you know, the end of the first quarter, everybody knew that we weren't playing the kind of basketball that it takes to get wins on the road. And I'm at the end of the game. I talked to them about that. We can't start games like that. You know, this is a big time uh, win for us and an important part of the season. We got to have a better sense of urgency. A two-hand dunk, a couple of threes, and Ryan Anderson was off and running, Coach. Yeah, he um, he's trying to find his way in a different slot in the rotation. And um, you know, if Ryan uh, plays within the system, we can be a really good team because Norris and Tony and Dante are out there changing the game defensively. Ryan can space the floor and let those guys <laughs> give him a break on the defensive end, especially when they're pressuring the ball. 
and offensively, you know, if those, those guys play together, usually Ryan will be the beneficiary. Coach, a game and a half back of Oklahoma City now. Did, did your players have any idea that the Thunder had lost already tonight? Do you, are you okay with them knowing that situation going into the game? We're taking care of our business. Like all this stuff about us being excited about OKC losing, look, we're taking care of our business. We're not, uh, everybody knows the situation. Um, our task at hand was to win tonight's game, get ready for tomorrow. We know who we're fighting with. Uh, Phoenix is in that battle as well. So uh, we're not going to disrespect any organization or team by, you know, worrying about them while we're playing somebody else. Our goal is to win the game that we have in front of us. Coach, thanks. Thank you. We can be. You know, it starts with our defense, though. If we can defend... Um, we can take advantage of some of our weapons, and you know we haven't been able to get everybody on the floor as uh, as much as we would like to. But um, when we get everybody playing the right way, we can be a, a really good team. Coach Williams and the Pelicans will now hit the road this afternoon. Again, flying to Sacramento, they'll take their three-game win streak up to Sleep Train Arena tomorrow night and take on the Sacramento Kings, trying to not only start or uh, excuse me, accomplish a winning road trip but gained their 41st win and set up what should be a dandy on Saturday at Portland as the uh, Pelicans try and climb uh, even with the Oklahoma City Thunder maybe even as early as this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Speaking of the Thunder, they are at Memphis tomorrow night, and we get some insight on where things stand with them from Royce Young. He's with ESPN.com, and he's with us on the Black and Blue Report next. Hi, I'm Lisa Albright. I'm 36 years old. I had the perfect life. It was everything I ever dreamed about until two weeks ago. I was standing in line at the grocery store, leaning over to empty my cart when I heard it. Mommy, why are her pants too big in the back? And that's when it hit me. I'm wearing mom jeans. Never again. I will look hot in yoga pants. That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new Firm and Burn chocolate peanut butter smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to get into those yoga pants. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We continue here from Los Angeles this morning where the Pelicans will practice and then get set to travel to Sacramento where they'll pick up against the Kings uh, tomorrow night. Oklahoma City, meanwhile, has uh, Memphis next on their radar. That's uh, also tomorrow night. And Royce Young is kind enough to join us here on the uh, podcast today. He's an NBA writer for ESPN.com and on the Oklahoma City Thunder Beat. Royce, uh, you and I were just talking just a moment ago. This is this is wild, the way this is shaping up in the Western Conference near the bottom of the playoff standings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a nightly event, really, to kind of follow these teams, especially now that it's really it's come down to the Pelicans and the Thunder. I mean, the Suns are basically virtually out of this thing now. And, um, you know, with what both teams have gone through, both teams have experienced adversity all season long, major injuries, uh, had to overcome a whole lot. Um, both teams have over, tried to overcome some bad losses that they, the games that they get, have given away that they shouldn't have. 
Um, but, you know, as, as we go into the stretch run here, it's really kind of a toss-up at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that for, for whichever team that gets in, they're going to have kind of experience playing the playoffs for the last month already because that's the way it feels. It feels like every game is, uh, is kind of has a playoff-level importance. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I'm curious as to what the Thunder's mindset is um, this week. And, and I guess the loss last night compounds the problem for the Thunder. But, you know, certainly right now the, the Pelicans are in that pursuit mode and Oklahoma City's almost in that mode of defending their spot. What, what kind of a mood is that team in, Royce? You know, I, I think that the Thunder are optimistic, but, you know, last night's loss against the Mavericks, you give up 135 points. And, you know, I, I think that that was extremely deflating to them because not that the Thunder really had a great shot at moving up to the seventh seed, but they at least kind of had, had that thought in their head um, that if they could beat the Mavericks, they could split the season series with them. I think they'd get to two within two games in the loss column of them. Um, and they'd have a chance, you know, which is obviously a huge deal to maybe avoid the Warriors in the opening round the playoffs. So, um, you know, I, I think that they had an expectation to win that game because you know, playing on your home floor in these situations, you've got to protect that. You have, you know, there, there are too many tough games ahead that you have to go on the road and win. Um, that you know, you're in your own building, a place where the Thunder have played really well this season, especially when Russell Westbrook's been healthy, uh, and you know they give up 135 points and lose. So, you know, I, I think last night's game was one that really hurt them, um, especially because the Pelicans, you know, went to Los Angeles and they blew out the Lakers. So. You know, I, I think the Thunder, they, they look at this thing like that they played a great game in Phoenix. They came back from 20 down, plus a great second-half defense. Really felt like they were maybe kind of turning the corner a little bit finally. And then, and then you know, a couple nights later, they give up 135 to the Mavericks and lose a tight one. Royce Young is with us. He's got some fantastic stuff here almost on a daily basis at ESPN.com. The latest uh, talking about last night's loss in the Mavericks and the defensive situation right now with the Thunder. Uh, Royce, though, you've been, you've been writing about so many different things, whether it be injuries or the Durant free agency or this Russell Westbrook phenomenon both on the floor and off. Um, if you had to pick what the biggest storyline has been over the last week and a half to two weeks, what would it be with Oklahoma City? That's a great question. I, you know, I, honestly, I probably would have to say Durant just because with, with Kevin Durant's foot injury and everything that's gone into that, you know, it, it's something that doesn't just impact this season, but it could impact, you know, the future down the line. Um, you know, the Thunder, it, we all know how good they are when they're completely healthy. You know, a lot of people have been looking at them lately and, you know, kind of questioning what's wrong with them. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is Kevin Durant, the reigning MVP, has only played 27 games this year. And in those games that, they, that he's played, the Thunder have been good. And, and that's with Durant not even being completely 100% obviously in those games. So, um, you know, his injury situation and how this impacts his career going forward, how this could impact his free agency, um, how, he, how he might approach it uh, going uh, into the future. You know, I think that that storyline is something that's going to hang over the rest of this season. And quite honestly, it's going to make next season just a complete, you know, it's going to be just complete craziness in Oklahoma City uh, 2015-2016 season because of all the pressure that's going to be on the Thunder at this point. Um, it's going to be something else. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. You've got the reigning MVP there who's only played 27 games, and yet the Thunder have a legitimate shot at having back-to-back MVPs, two different players. Uh, one has to wonder, how much longer can Russell Westbrook carry an entire franchise like he has in the last month? Yeah, that's, a, that's the thing, because, you know, honestly, last night watching him against the Mavericks, 
I thought that Westbrook kind of looked tired for a little bit of that game. You know, Westbrook typically plays with just, you know, as everybody knows, with just relentless energy. Um, but on the defensive end, it almost kind of looked like he was trying to take a few breaks. You know, he kind of got lost um, off the ball a few times. He was he was caught ball watching. Um, and, you know, while he ended up with a triple-double, you know, 29-11-11, and 11, it, that's how amazing Russell Westbrook's been, is that it kind of felt like, yeah, it just kind of felt like he wasn't all there, you know. But uh, he, he got it going in the second half because, you know, Russell Westbrook is that kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, as as he goes forward, you, know, you do have to wonder, especially uh, as they get closer to the postseason, if they do get in. You know, Russell Westbrook, he's never been the type of guy that's run out of gas before, uh, but he's also never been a guy that's really had to, to, to do this sort of thing night in and night out. And, uh, you know, he, he might just be completely exhausted. And, you know, especially when you're playing against a team like the Warriors or whoever you get, um, you know, in playoff-like atmosphere, uh, the last – putting all the miles that he's put on over the last month and a half might finally catch up to him. Westbrook certainly is a, a, an unbelievable story in what he's done to keep them in the eighth spot. But, Royce, let me ask you this. If Sam Presti doesn't make the deals that he made in February, mm-hmm. is this team even in a conversation today? I don't think so because you know what what that deal did is it solved immediately what they would what they would be struggling with if they didn't have it is that they have offensive weapons and while the Thunder are obviously struggling defensively um, a large part of that is because Serge Ibaka you know one of the best rim protectors in basketball has been hurt um, and he covers up a lot of the blemishes for the Thunder you know the Thunder have some bad defensive habits um, about you know not defending the three point line sometimes consistently they don't close out shooters they give up some dribble penetration. But when you've got a blocker back there on the back line, you know, that can hide a lot of those problems. So, you know, what they did is, you know, they gave away a good defensive interior guy in Kendrick Perkins. Um, they, you know, Reggie Jackson obviously was a player that's very, very talented but didn't want to be in Oklahoma City. So, you know, they, what they did is they solved a lot of offensive issues that they would have without Kevin Durant because now Russell Westbrook's got a pick-and-roll buddy and Ennis Cantor who's just been an absolute uh, magnificent addition alongside Westbrook. And then some of the depth that's filled out. You know, the, those role players didn't have a great game against the Mavericks, but against the Suns, they won the game. You know, Kyle Singler played a big second half, played great defense on Marquise Morris. D.J. Augustine hit four threes. I think he scored 19 off the bench. Um, so, you know, all of that uh, is really what's enabled the Thunder to at least kind of keep their heads above water because without those players, you know, Russell Westbrook would, would have had to just – he would have been having to put up quadruple doubles, quite honestly. <laughs> I don't think – I don't think the triple-doubles would have been enough. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, real quick, Steven Adams, what's the latest on him? Uh, is he going to be able to go tomorrow? Yeah, just another player to add to the list. Uh, uh, we don't know yet, as of yet. He, you know, he rolled his ankle pretty good. Um, in the locker room post-game, he, had, he was icing his foot. Talked to reporters, and he, he looked you know, as good as a guy could, I guess, that rolled his ankle. He didn't have a boot on. He didn't have crutches, which I guess if you're looking for a positive sign, that he might be able to play. That would be it. I don't think it was an extremely severe ankle roll, but he obviously he walked out of the locker room with a pretty good limp. So um, it's up in the air. So and, and the Thunder obviously need him because he got in foul trouble last night against the Mavericks. Picked up his fourth foul, 32 seconds into the third quarter, and uh, I don't think that that's uh, I don't think that that's all aesthetic. Uh, coincidental that the Mavericks scored 72 points in the paint that night. So um, they they definitely need Stephen Adams. All right, so a game and a half separates the Thunder and the Pelicans as we talk here on this Thursday. Look at this thing for me and, and give me your thoughts on what it's going to take for either side to make the Western Conference playoffs. 
Um, you know, I don't well, want to tell you things that you already know here. Obviously, there's yeah. four home games left for OKC, but it's Memphis, Houston, San Antonio, Sacramento, Indiana, Portland, Minnesota. Uh, what's mm-hmm. realistic for the Thunder, and, and then what does that mean to the race? Yeah, you know, I, I think as the Thunder look at this thing, um, their next three games are obviously vital. Uh, on the road in Memphis, home against the Rockets, home against the Spurs. Um, you know, you have to assume that the Pelicans are not going to win out. Um, they've got some tough games coming up themselves. They play the Blazers, I think, um, in, the, in the coming weeks. They play Memphis again. So, you know, it's, it's the type of thing that, as the Thunder look at this, that, you know, I think if they can defend their home court and then they've got some winnable road games, um, you know, over these next three games, honestly, going one and two would be pretty good, I think, uh, with the teams that they have to play. What's, what's scary for the Thunder at this moment is that, you know, they're a game up in the loss column on the Pelicans. Um, but, you know, that, that game is precious because the Pelicans hold the tiebreaker. So, uh, you know, I, that, that's what's really, really dangerous for the Thunder at this point is that um, Oklahoma City really has no margin of error with the Pelicans on their tail. And, you know, they really need that two- or three-game buffer because, you know, one loss seems like it can swing this whole thing. You know, the Thunder beat the Suns the other night, and it felt like everybody was going, okay, they're in the playoffs. It's over now. And then you turn around, they lose to the Mavericks, the Pelicans beat the Lakers, and it's back to this, you know, razor-thin margin again. So, you know, I think as the Thunder look at this thing going forward, um, you know, it, they need to do their best that they can to defend their home floor and uh, just kind of let it fall where it may after that. One more question for you, and this is more on a, a global, I guess, um, stage as far as the Western Conference goes, Royce, and that's this. You know, San Antonio has clinched a playoff spot now. Ho-hum, that's like death and taxes, it seems. Right. Um, but both the Thunder and the Pelicans will play San Antonio. Uh, Golden State's coming up at home for the Pelicans on Tuesday. You've got a couple of teams now here that it'll be interesting to see whether they rest guys, they're happy with their playoff spot, or maybe they still have to play with a little more. Um, does that change the way that you look at the remaining games for both teams? You know, I find that Warriors game is really interesting because, you know, a month ago when everybody thought Kevin Durant would probably come back, it seemed like an obvious spot for the Warriors to maybe say, okay, we're going to go ahead and rest Steph Curry and Clay Thompson for this one um, because the Thunder obviously were a team that nobody would want to see as the eighth seed. If they could get back to full strength with playoffs, I mean, that's, that's the scariest eighth seed of all time. Now, with Durant officially ruled out with Ibaka's health in question, um, you know, I could see the Warriors honestly preferring the Thunder at this point because the Thunder have so many defensive problems, and the Pelicans can be dangerous themselves. Once You know, they got Ryan Anderson back. Uh, Anthony Davis, you know, he, he's, he's the type of guy that can go win you a game all on his own. Um, and so the Warriors might look at this thing and say, well, I don't know, maybe we do want to play the Thunder because uh, they look like a team that we could shred up pretty good uh, on the offensive end. So, you know, I think if, you know, obviously the Spurs have a history of resting guys in this situation. Um, they, they do have a chance to move up a little bit in the standings if they really wanted to, but they may kind of like where they're sitting right now, especially, you know, I think the Spurs would uh, quite enjoy playing the Rockets in the opening round, and uh, there's a good chance of that happening. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things I kind of hate to see it because, you know, you hate for a playoff race. The Pelicans and the Thunder are fighting so hard to get in. And for it to be influenced by other teams resting their guys, you know, you kind of hate to see it, but you can't blame them either because, I mean, the 82-game schedule is long, and you want your guys to be healthy going into the playoffs, and uh, you can't really worry about other teams. You've got to take care of yourself. Great stuff. I- I'm so grateful we got the perspective of, of your coverage there in Oklahoma City. Royce, uh, I know folks uh, listening to our podcast obviously are interested in the Pelicans, but they have to keep an eye on the Thunder uh, daily. 
Uh, and to do so, I want them to uh, follow you on Twitter. What's the best way to do that? Um, pretty easy, just my name, at Royce Young. Perfect, perfect. And, of course, then at ESPN.com as well. Royce, enjoy this. Uh, this is going to be fun, I think, all the way down until April 15th. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Sean. You got it. Royce Young from ESPN.com. We'll be right back. The future is now for the New Orleans Pelicans as all-star Anthony Davis has become one of the elite players in the NBA. 2015-16 season tickets are now on sale, so make sure to get your seats now and receive special gifts as part of our parade of prizes. Season ticket holders receive great benefits, including access to exclusive team events, plus savings on concessions and merchandise. Be part of the best fan experience in the NBA by calling 525-HOOP or visiting pelicans.com today. Racing fans, you won't want to miss the Professional Drag Racers Association Cajun Nationals Pro Mod at Thunder Road Raceway Park in Gilliam, Louisiana, just outside of Shreveport. This exciting event runs April 30th through May 2nd. For more information, visit www.racetrrp.com. And while in town, enjoy great gaming action, shopping, food, and nightlife. For additional things to see and do, visit shreveport-bossier.org or call 888-45-VISIT. What's up, Pelican fans? This is Anthony Mackey, a shorter, talented version of Anthony Davis, and you are listening to the Black and Blue Report. Go Pelicans. Well, with regard to Pelicans assistant coach Dave Henders, I don't think there's too many things in and around the game of basketball that he hasn't experienced in some form or fashion, and that includes the Final Four. Um, with Final Four weekend coming up here, Dave Hanners, I. I thought that you'd be the perfect guy to visit about what that weekend is really all about. You know, it's so funny, Sean, because I was so spoiled. I, I worked for such great people in my life, you know, Dean Smith being, you know, one of the best coaches of all times. And, you know, in my 11 years at North Carolina, we went to six Final Fours. And actually, as a graduate assistant in 77, we went to the final, final game in Atlanta. So I have lots of experience at it. And I, my friends always used to say, are you going to the Final Four this year? I said, only if we're in it. <laughs> you mentioned the fact that it really is a, a, a huge convention for all of those in college basketball, especially the coaches. Um, what's, the, what's the difference between going there as, as a visitor and as a participant? Work versus pleasure you know when you're there playing you don't have time you know I've always used to tell me are you gonna you know be all lobby this year you're gonna hang out you're gonna try to get I said well I've got the greatest job in the world as an assistant at North Carolina and and I just never had the time to be able to do those things or to see all the stuff that went around now my friends that came to the games and used my tickets they would tell me about what a great time they had and you know who was in the lobby at all hours but yeah I didn't really get to see that from my end when you when you go and you're participating are you kind of the star of the show no I, you know again North Carolina you have to understand the players are the stars of the show and, and the coaches were very much in the background Coach Smith always preferred it that way. And, um, but you are, you know, on display. Like when you go to practice and all of a sudden there's 20,000 people at practice, right. you know, that's different, you know. Um, and, and a lot of coaches really, you know, hate that because you really can't get anything done. There's no secret. You know, you, you can't do the things you really want to do without giving stuff away. So it's more of a let's get in and get a workout in and get out. You were a part of a program that I wouldn't say expected to be in the Final Four, but it wasn't probably the season you wanted if you weren't in the Final Four. I guess what I'm getting at is there's a difference between those teams that get there and it's still a part of the business of the year, and then there are those teams that get there and say, 
we've done something we've never been able to do before. Yeah, it's true, and at North Carolina, it was the standard to to compete. Coach Smith always used to say, you know, our goal is to compete for the national championship. You know, he didn't say exactly what that entailed, but right. each year at the start of the year when we found out where the site was going to be, and sometimes they knew it a year in advance or so, he would ask me to find a photograph of of that site with a game going on and the scoreboard in the in the venue so that we could change and put, you know, North Carolina 98, right. you know, whoever we thought might be good, you know, 94, you know, and we would hand that out at the beginning of the season. And they said, this is our goal to be there, you know, on, on April 6th or April 1st or March 31st. All the times that you went as a participant, uh, were they truly unique in themselves or do they have some kind of underlying characteristic that seemed to be the same across the board? I think they were all unique because there were different teams involved each time. And there were different venues, different cities. You know, I think Indianapolis stands out because I think in my seven Final Fours that I was part of, that we were there three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it just changed because of those. The, you know, the, the 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 look of the arena, the teams that you were playing against. Like in '93, it was set up just so well for us because it was in New Orleans. They had already won in New Orleans. You know, in in '80 uh, '82 or '81 '81, right. and you know, we were playing Michigan, uh, you know, in the finals, and Michigan had tipped the ball in to beat us in Maui, and we were both ranked like one and two all year. So it was a perfect setup. We could get a little revenge. We had motivation, and it was an arena we'd already won in. Speaking of arenas, that was actually the Superdome. How different was it for those guys, and even today, for them to play in a dome stadium as opposed to a more traditional basketball arena? You know, it's, it's funny because I had – a second experience in the Superdome when I was really young and playing in college mm-hmm. we played against Tulane in the Superdome and the game went to four or five overtimes against Tulane and Pierre Godin and Phil Hicks uh, and it was a different atmosphere you know the, everything was so far away we weren't used to it but you know that's become sort of the standard now to play in the big arenas I remember in Indianapolis that you know first time I walked in to, to actually coach the wind was blowing my pant legs <laughs> And I looked down, and I said, Phil Ford, I said, look, Phil, I said, look at my legs, and you could see them flapping. That's different, you know, so your shooting is going to be a little bit different. Oh, absolutely, you're almost playing the wind there a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you know, you brought up the, the Carolina-Michigan game, and everybody remembers the Chris Webber timeout. Uh, <laughs> that might be one of the, the most unique and well-remembered Final Four moments across the, the modern history of that event. Yeah, and it was funny, you know, Pat Sullivan, who – later became one of our assistant coaches at North Carolina and has actually worked with me in the NBA at several different stops with Larry Brown. Uh, he made two free throws or made one of two free throws to put us up that led to that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on the miss, on the second free throw, he, Pat missed and Weber grabbed it and started to take off and traveled, but they didn't call that. And, you know, all of us were so mad, you know, on the bit, we're yelling, he traveled, he traveled, you know, but then we were happy because as he came down, he got double teamed by George Lynch and Derek Phelps, and he called a timeout, which they didn't have. I don't think anybody knows anything about that, do they? <laughs> I, I guess not. I, you know, <laughs> probably not. Unless they're wearing Carolina blue, of course. Right. Yeah. When, when you look back now on it, um, is there a story that tops all the others for you? Um, I don't think so. They were all such special moments. You know, uh, there were little things that stood out, like uh, you know we were playing Arkansas. I think it was in Seattle, in maybe '95, and and um, Jerry Stackhouse gets kneed in the thigh about the second or third play of the game, and he was our you know really 
go-to guy. Right. And I thought, what you know, bad luck to be playing for the chance to play in the final game and have your star player go out of the game and not be able to come back with you know three minutes gone in the game. That stood out. And then, of course, you know, the 91 Kansas game, Coach Smith, who never got technical fouls, um, an official who later found out had been sick, um, gave him two and ejected him, which was really bizarre, you know, for Coach Smith to get ejected in a Final Four game. And to see Coach Guthridge's reaction after the game going out to the official was really funny. Because, oh you know, you just couldn't, you couldn't tread on Coach Smith without Coach Guthridge getting in your face. Oh, yeah, I, I can only imagine that. So let's say you win on Saturday. What's Sunday like? Well, I mean, it's, there's so much uh, hurriedly preparation. You know, hur- you're in a hurry to prepare because, you know, you can try to prepare in advance, but you don't know which team's going to make it. Um, it's sort of like the playoffs in the NBA, you know, and as you advance to the next round, you've got to be covered, you know, all your bases. You've got to do a great job of covering them. And so it's, it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of late night, you know, working. Um, but, you know, looking back, it was wonderful times because you're with Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge. Right, right. Who handles the weekend better, coaches or players? Um, I think coaches, you know, because of the the maturity and you know, for guess especially you know, I'm so biased being there with Dean Smith. He'd been there a lot, right. you know, so he knew, and they were just unbelievable. He and Coach Guthridge at knowing what was important, you know, when to have meetings, uh, what to say at the meetings, you know, how to prepare for a team, whether we were the underdog or we had expectations of win. Like in '93, I can remember Phil Ford's. You know, so many times to me saying, you know, as you shook hands with the other team, you'd say, well, I hope, you know, both teams play as well as they can and let the best team win because we thought we were the best team. When you look at this year's Final Four, all four of these coaches have been there and some many times, like Tom Izzo is now at seven uh, with his Final Fours. The advantage of having been there, and I think you just touched upon that a little bit, that knowing the routine, I guess, what an advantage, huh? Oh, it is. It's just like I mentioned earlier, the big practice, the open practice with 20,000. If you're not used to that, what it's going to be like and what it, you know, how you have to control the guy's attitudes toward that, uh, that can knock you out right from the you know, you That can be your last good moment in, if you're not prepared for it. Yeah. Any advantage to being the first or the second game of the Saturday? You know, I don't think so. You know, I used to always look at our guys in warm-ups and, and look at their faces and try to say, are we ready tonight? You know, <laughs> and sometimes they looked loose and I thought, oh, we're not going to be ready. And we came out like gangbusters. So I think it's the same thing there. You know, again, from a logic standpoint, the more time you have to prepare, the better it is. But in the long run, you know, you've got to play two quick games and, and you know, you've got to get stuff done. So... You've collected some things over the years, some really cool things from your career. What have you saved from your Final Four experiences? Well, I've got every, you know, and I don't know if they still do it because I haven't been involved in it in quite a while now, but, you know, they used to give you five or six of these different pins for the each stage of the NCAA tournament. It was, a you know, a pin that you could uh, either put on your jacket or was um, had, uh, like, a magnet on the back. Mm-hmm. And... Over my, you know, 11 years as an assistant North Carolina, I probably had 60 or 70 or 80 of those pins, and I have all of those, which is neat. And then, you know, if you advance to the Final Four, you you get a watch from the NCAA for being in the NCAA tournament, and then you get a uh, gold watch or a ring, depending on the years, if you 
get to the Final Four, and then if you win it. And so having those different, you know, memo, um, th things just to remember, the, you know, the times that you were there are great. But I also have some pretty neat things from Coach Smith. Yeah. Uh, I, you shared some of those on the plane with me, as a matter of fact. Uh, things that I don't think anybody else can get their hands on at this point. Oh, no. Uh, you know, he would always draw, draw up, you know, ATOs, uh, jump ball situations, but he, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't really believe in doing a lot of stuff that the guys hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. You know, he was very uh, routine oriented, and he thought if you practice something, the guys would do it much better than if you ad libbed something. So a lot of the things that he drew up at timeouts were things that he had already gone over with the team, so the drawings could look incomplete because the guys kind of knew what he was talking about, but he talked through the drawings as much as he actually drew. But every time that he drew up something from the time I started there in 89 till he retired in 97, he would ask for a you know, notebook to draw on, and then he would hand the notebook either to Phil Ford or back to me. And I tore them all out, and then I have every one of them. And did, did everybody use a notebook then? I mean, you know, now it's, it's grease boards. You know, it used to be some guys would use chalk. Uh, he obviously created a, a lasting memory by not doing those things. Yeah, I, I think some people were starting to use the grease boards then. You know, a lot of people did, but he didn't feel comfortable with that. And he just, you know, he had a favorite pen that he always kept in his breast pocket of his jacket. He would pull out the, you know, and it was kind of a maroon Mont Blanc pen. He would pull that out. We'd hand him the notebook. He would draw up his thing. And then, you know, again, he talked through most of it. Then he would hand it back. And to show you how I'm not the smartest guy in the world, the first couple years that I had them, I was so afraid to write on them because they were they were sacred to me, yes. you know. And I didn't want to put my awful handwriting on them to say, well, this was you know March third, nineteen you know ninety five, you know against so and so. I, I didn't want to write on it. But then Phil Ford convinced me later, how are we going to know one may be really special, right? And like you know, I have the two, and then I thank goodness the dates are on them. The game that he, you know, broke Adolph Rutt's record to have 877 wins, the jump ball from that game, and a couple other plays from that game, and then the jump ball from his last game that he ever coached in 97. I have both of those. You've been in the NBA now, I think, probably as long as you coached at the college level. Is that right? Yeah, not quite. But, you know, I was in the college level for about 24 years, and I've been in the NBA a little over 15. Would you ever go back? I mean, the game has changed so much. And you think back on those fond memories of being with Coach Smith and the Final Fours and everything else. Would you coach at that level again, knowing what you know now? You know, I, it would really be hard in, in a lot of ways because, and I always try to explain it to people who love college basketball, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're going to have a knee surgery, do you want a guy, a doctor to do it that does, you know, one a week or two a week or a guy that does five a day? And, and the comparison or the analogy is that in the NBA, all we do is coach. We don't do anything else. You know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day, we do X and O's and film. In college, you're an academic advisor, you're a parent, you're a psychologist, you're a, you know, a tutor, you're, you're everything imaginable, and, you know, you coach basketball about two hours a day. So it would really be hard to go back to that because, again, you, you don't get the chance to teach like the, in the college level like you do in the pros. And so I think it would be really hard for me. And then the other thing is, after working for Monty and then, you know, Larry Brown and Dean Smith, who would I work for? <laughs> you know, it'd be a letdown, I think, no matter who I worked for. So it'd be really difficult. It'll be very difficult for any of us to see the games on Saturday because the Pelicans play at Portland on Saturday. Uh, but on Monday night, will you watch the NCAA championship? 
I probably will. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you, your interest gets piqued at this time of the year because of your past, my past. And I've had so many wonderful experiences, so I probably will. I wish we had like an hour we could do this. <laughs> As always, I appreciate it. Thanks again for the memories. All right, John. Thank yep. you. Dave Hanner is with us here on the Black and Blue Report. We'll continue in just a moment. Don't want to miss out on any of the action? Get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7, 365. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways. Plus, get texts with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelican Mobile Alerts. Visit pelicans.com for information on these great features. Plus, sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion. It's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Pelicans.com and NewOrleansSaints.com. Your first stop when following your teams. Well, we hope that you'll join us for the Monty Williams Radio Show later on tonight. We'll do it from Sacramento, California. It will air at 8 Central on the flagship station of the Pelicans Radio Network. That's 105.3 WWL-FM. We'll uh, hear from Coach extensively, and we'll look back on what's been a pretty good week for the Pelicans already as we continue on this West Coast road trip. On tomorrow's Black and Blue Report, we ramp up our Final Four previewing with Ian Eagle from CBS Sports. We'll hear from Monty Williams, and we'll also celebrate the career of Saints equipment manager Dan Simmons. He's chief to all of us. He's uh, deservedly uh, retiring this week, and uh, we wish him all the best. We'll uh, look back with him a little bit on what has been a remarkable career as one of the key members of the New Orleans Saints organization. Hope you enjoyed uh, our podcast today. Uh, as you're listening, we're probably in air, or uh, excuse me, in flight up to Sacramento. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. Special thanks again to Royce Young today, Dave Hanners, Monty Williams, and Ryan Anderson, too. We'll talk to you tomorrow from Sacramento here on the Black and Blue Reports. And until then, Sean Kelly saying so long for just a while. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report.